you're always going to have a healthy number of users that churn, whether it be to something completely unrelated to your product or actually to something related to your product, but not something you should be paying attention to. You're not going to be able to please every user. So being able to identify those and separate them from the users that you actually can keep in your product and you can keep happy and then understanding where is the breakdown happening? Is it happening in our marketing before somebody even gets into our product or you find out it's something in your app. Hey, and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff. I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. This is Austin. I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And this is Matt, and I'm a growth engineer here at HubSpot. And today we're going to be talking about a really exciting topic nowadays, which is re-engaging your users. Uh, and specifically, what we want to talk about is what counts as an unengaged user? How do you identify who these users are? And why did they leave your app in the first place? Uh, and a couple of things that we want to discuss with this is what are the different things that you can do to try and re-engage them? And a more important question that we want to pose, should you even be trying to re-engage them in the first place? Uh, but before we get into that, Austin has a quick announcement for us. All right. So we've got a little bit of a change, some good news and some bad news that's going to be coming to the podcast. I'm going to start with the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that for the most part, we're going to be losing my two awesome co-hosts, Matt and Jeff for the episodes going forward. And they can tell you a little bit about some of the cool stuff that they're going to be doing that's basically pulling them in that direction and they have to be heads down focused on that. But what I can tell you is that for me, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a quick break from the show and then bringing it right back. And the focus is going to change a little bit from having uh, the same co-hosts every single episode and then sometimes bringing on guests to trying a different format where we have a new co-host for every single episode. And I'm going to focus on bringing people onto the show as my co-host from the different places around the world that I'm going to be traveling to throughout the next year or so and having them offer different and odd perspectives that may have otherwise been unheard. So I want to focus on digging deep into the same style of intense design and growth conversations that we've always had, but offering you a little bit of a look at perspectives that may have never been heard otherwise. But Matt and Jeff, tell us a little bit about some of the exciting stuff that you're going to be doing. Sure. So for me, it's pretty simple. Um, I basically want to shift the direction of my career a little bit and step off of my growth podium for the time being and just focus as much time and effort as I can, just being the best software engineer that I can be. Uh, and with that, I'm honestly just not going to be thinking about growth every day at, a, at, at any level, really. Not going to be running as many experiments. And so uh, I think that there are other people out there who could do a better job speaking to these subjects than I can. Yeah. Um, on my end, uh, I just stepped into a role at HubSpot as a team lead uh, for a growth team, actually. So... Um, besides the software and um, the problems that uh, I've been dealing with as, say, a senior software engineer, um, this is a much bigger role and is going to take much more time. Although we have talked to Austin a bit about maybe jumping back on the podcast once in a while you never to know. fill in because we're going to be having so much time going through the experience of doing this stuff that there's no doubt that we're going to build up things that we want to talk about. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Stay which... Tuned. Uh, so I think we've got some cool developments that, that we'll be uh, coming out with after this episode is released. Give it a little bit of a break, and then we'll be right back. But Matt and Jeff, you guys have made this podcast what it is, and I'm sure that I can speak for everybody listening when I say that it was an absolute pleasure to have you guys on board for the last... It was, it's over a year that we've been doing this now. Yeah. So. It's yeah, been pretty, quite a journey. It's pretty wild. Don't make me cry on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we, we still have stuff okay. to talk about today. <laughs> All right. So let's get back to our topic, which is re-engaging sure. users back into your app. This is a super cool uh, thing for us to talk through because we discuss a lot like the importance of retention. And, you know, it's so difficult to get somebody to convert on a piece of software or on a website or whatever it may be. 
and the cost of losing them is super, super high. So how do you make sure that you can keep those people coming back? That's what we want to discuss. I feel like the first thing that we need to talk about with this is user churn. And how do you identify user churn, right? Because the, the, the first step to re-engaging users is identifying the users who left, right? Um, so, yeah. I mean, obviously you need to have metrics. You need to have some kind of pulse on whether or someone is using your product in the first place and what they're doing in that product. And you need to have like a realistic uh, time scale for how long someone has not been doing something that you can consider them to not be engaged. Yeah. And a big part of that is inherent to what your product is. Right, yeah. The, uh, the most important thing when I think of churn is a good definition right. of what counts as churn uh, because people not using something um, immediately, I you know, intuitively doesn't count as churn or doesn't seem like it counts as churn. But after you go a couple of days or a couple of weeks, like when do you draw the line? Was the person, for example, like just on vacation and then you send them a bunch of messages like, where are you? Why aren't you using my product? And then they come back like, I was just in Hawaii. Like, what's the big deal, you know? Right. Um, or are they like a seasonal shopper? Uh, as Jeff was talking about a little bit before this. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, so the example that I like to give is how I don't shop on Amazon ever, except for Christmas, because mm-hmm. I don't like the the hassle of having to go out and shop while everybody else is shopping. So online is perfect. But if Amazon uh, thought that users needed to you know buy on Amazon once a month or once a week even, um, they would be bugging me constantly to come back, but they don't do that. And um, it's because I must, I mean, this is a guess because I don't have Amazon's metrics, but I assume that they're smart enough to see a whole cohort of people mm-hmm. that just do what I do and right. really just come back once a year. And then I haven't really triggered their um, their you know flag or their, their alarm for right. somebody who's like potentially going to churn. And I bet that the first step for figuring out that that's a pattern is qualitative user research and identifying like what are the use cases that someone uses our product in. And if you're an online retailer, there's a good chance that seasonal shopping is a potential use case for you. Right, exactly. Like imagine getting an email from a shovel company right. in the middle of the summer, like come back, we got a deal on shovels. Smart if it's in like the right. hottest day of the year, but like just arbitrarily without that. Um, It doesn't really make much sense because clearly they have uh, a season where it's applicable. Mm -hmm. And so uh, some situations are easier than others, of course. Uh, I was reading an uh, article on Intercom's blog recently that gave a pretty good example of one you can identify user churn. If you have a team-based product, right, where you have an entire sales team using a tool or an entire marketing team or whatever it is, um, you don't want to trigger these churn alarms based on a single user not using the product for a couple weeks, per se. You want to watch uh, usage drop for the entire team at the same time over the course of several weeks and potentially months. Yeah. Right. If you see that this team of 20 people just flat out stopped using your product and it's been a month now, they might be churning. Right. right? And another good point that they bring up in here is that um, usage metrics uh, are just an indicator for churn, right? And for revenue churn, you know? And so ultimately, what you want to figure out from them is, uh, what are these patterns, and why is this person not using the product in the first place? Yeah, so there's a a thing that happens to a lot of people. I don't know if you've had this uh, happen to you where your credit card expires or it gets lost and you have to cancel it or something, and suddenly you get a message from a company that's like, hey, we tried to charge your credit card, and it didn't work. And you look at that and you go, Oh, I was paying for that, and like then you just you just don't update right. it or you cancel the subscription. Um, and a, a lot of times, um, a pattern like that happens even on like uh, enterprise software, um, where the cost isn't so high that you're you know it's at the front of your mind. Like you're not trying to like get the most out of a a, a piece of software that only costs you a like hundred dollars a month, and you work at like a two hundred million dollar company, right? Yep. Um, so because you can't uh, put a good number to the moment that people stop using your product or hit like zero on the activity and like when they're actually going to cancel that subscription, um, you need to spend a lot of time figuring out what the triggers are um, or like the the patterns that like very clearly indicate that they're going to fall into a phase where they have essentially forgotten that you exist. Right. And uh, another good one that you can always add into there 
is looking at how long did this person use your product in the first place? How long were they a customer for? Yeah. You know, if they were just a drive-by customer, if let's say you're a mobile app, because it's an easy example to think about, they download your app, open it one time, and then never come back. You know, is it worth counting them as a churned user and trying to re-engage them if they never saw any of the value from your product in the first place? Yeah. Probably not. But if they use that app for a whole month, then they definitely saw some value from the app. And you can certainly count them as churned if they haven't been around for a month or so. Right. And these are things that we're going to talk about a little bit later as we get into examples of how to do some re-engagement. Um, basically putting a, a percentage or some sort of... Uh, kind of scale on how likely it is that somebody's going to come back in the first place. Like, yep. why waste your time on somebody that you know has a really low chance of coming back, you know, like 0% maybe. Like, don't send them an email if they're not if it's not going to work. And, like, this is just data collection. This is uh, testing and, and right. trying to bucket these people who you do succeed with. Exactly. The gist of what we're talking about here with Sharon is that really it depends on your products and the scenarios in which your customers are using the product. And ultimately, you just want to make sure that you're identifying properly users who actually churned, who you have a good chance of re-engaging. Mm. And you also want to make sure um, that you understand why they churned in the first place. That's another really big part of it. So introducing some kind of qualitative feedback loop into these churned users is really important for identifying these scenarios. Yeah. Austin, you've been quiet for a couple of minutes. What are you thinking about all this? <laughs> I think that you guys are you guys are hitting all of the points that I would think about as well. Um, I feel like the first step to to understanding churn is is putting those uh, triggers into place that say like we know that based off of this behavior, this behavior, and this behavior, a user is going to be more likely to churn, uh, and then figuring out um, how you can determine why it is that when somebody hits those triggers, they're churning. And what you'll often find is that there's going to be multiple different triggers within a single app, and then also sequences of them that will all lead to different reasons. So this is where the qualitative feedback really comes in, and you want to understand, hey, is it is it that you, uh, you, know, you can't figure out how to do something and we can help you with that? Or is it that we set the wrong expectation, and when you go through this process, you just found out, oh, wait, this product isn't what I thought it was, and I don't want this anymore. There are a few different reasons why a user can churn, and I think that you have to be able to answer that first. You know, is it that you just have a bad product and and content, and your users don't want to be engaging with that? Is it that you're actually trying to engage them too much, and they're getting annoyed? Perhaps you're marketing to them too much, or emailing them too much. Uh, is it that you didn't keep the promises that you set when they converted on your product? and you miss the expectations that they had, or were they just not interested in the first place, or is it something that's a little bit more salvageable, which is that you can uh, help the user, the user wants to be engaged, they want to use the, your product, but they just need a little bit of coaching. And in that case, when you can start to answer that stuff, you can figure out what your approach needs to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like the, there's a lot of times that people talk about churn as though you did some sort of awful disservice mm -hmm. to your customer. Like, like they ha always had a bad experience. And a lot of times when it comes to churn, things are pretty gray area. And sometimes it's, it's subtle. It's stupid. Like, you know, they were just feeling out the product and like, it just never, they just never felt good enough about it. Yeah. And they like tried it. They were interested, but, uh, you know, they maybe the old way seemed to just do better over the course of the time that they gave it. Or like, you know, it's not even necessarily about like um, being super interested in something. Um, I find myself not being interested in a product. This is like jobs to be done type stuff. But like, I'm never really that interested in a product. I'm just interested in uh, it doing what I want it to do and um, having like, and it also kind of like feeling like the right thing like every car will drive me places but like i want the car to basically feel like the right choice mm -hmm. and that is a little bit harder to nail but um you know if a car doesn't have all of its wheels then clearly i'm not gonna be yeah. like i'm churning from that that probably wouldn't be a great feeling right so that's that stuff you can't control and then other stuff is a little bit more subtle but like getting the basis or getting the basics down is always like a good first step to be like you know this does what it's supposed to do and it does it well we're confident that the problems are a little bit more, you know, they'll be solved by research right. and we've got a little bit more time to figure this out in that yeah. case. And I think to what Austin's saying is like, there's always going to be like a healthy percentage of your users that will always churn and there's nothing that you can do about that. It's just yeah. kind of the natural cycle of being a customer, you right. know. 
Uh, for example, like uh, I might go to my favorite steakhouse a couple times a month, but if I choose to switch to a vegetarian diet, there's nothing they can do to try and re-engage me. I mean, I yeah. guess if they show me like really HD photos of steaks for like days and days, <laughs> I might reconsider. But even still, like that's a, yeah. that's like a life choice that uh, someone makes, and there's not much you can do about that. Right. Yeah. Right. So you have to you have to figure out like what are the scenarios and as Austin was saying what are the scenarios in which someone might churn that are realistic and how can we uh, use these triggers to identify which category this churned user falls into right yeah you're always going to have a healthy number of users that churn whether it be to something completely unrelated to your product or actually to something related to your product but not something you should be paying attention to. You're not going to be able to please every user. So being able to identify those and separate them from the users that you actually can keep in your product and you can keep happy and then understanding where is the breakdown happening? Is it happening in our marketing before somebody even gets into our product? We've talked about this on the show before that you know 90% of mobile apps will be deleted within the first month of being downloaded and 25% will be deleted within the first day. What's happening there? Is that because like all of these apps suck or is it because they're setting the wrong expectations before people come into it? So there is one potential area where you could be working or you find out it's something in your app and it's it's your user needs to be coached more. They need a feature uh, that would help them do whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. In HubSpot, uh, I, I recently worked on a machine learning project that we were running within the app where we found out that users were churning for several different reasons. And the crazy thing was that we actually had knowledge base articles that were already written for the problems that they were having. So they would go through a few behavior patterns, contact support or not, they would just leave. And then uh, ultimately we would end up having uh, either, you know, wasted resources on support, which became a huge issue for our company for a while, or a churned user. So we started to say, how can we notice these patterns as they're happening and use machine learning to deliver the user with a solution before they even get to the point where they need to contact support or churn. Those are the types of solutions that you can be thinking about within your product, but that's completely different than something within your marketing and the expectations that you're setting. And likewise, with users that actually it's completely healthy for them to churn in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. um, As a note, uh, machine learning does this really well, but sometimes that's not really uh, something that you can reach in your company. It's just you're not quite there yet. You don't have the resources yeah. or the expertise or a way to get the expertise. And also it takes a very long time to build up those models. And mm-hmm. a lot of it like requires that you have data in the first place, which is kind of, you know, if you're not there, like you haven't gotten to step one and machine learning is like step 10. Right. Um, however, that, like, that, that doesn't mean that machine learning is like the only way that you can do this stuff. I'll, like machine learning gets to the tiny details of a lot of stuff that you can do manually, uh, qualitatively or quantitatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the old fashioned go measure it yourself, run experiments, talk to customers kind of stuff, you know, being like support is your best asset in a situation like this, where if you just start summing up the data and the types of support in, uh, engagements that happen and the way that people feel about their support engagements and the um, basically, just anything you can do to like start to draw uh, patterns up um, from support itself, uh, you're already yep. you know sixty percent of the way there to, yeah. to having a good handle on what you should be doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining a scenario here where you have a marketing page that's advertising a new product that you just launched. And it's a brand new product; it's not perfect yet, right? And you have a couple thousand users that come through that marketing page, sign up for the product, and a good percentage of them churn; they never come back. You know. Months later or a year later when that product has all the kinks ironed out in it and it's gotten much better, maybe there's an opportunity in there for you to adopt your marketing strategy to reconsider all those churned users, right? right? And mention something about how much better that product is and how the performance is better and it does all these things that everyone was churning because it didn't do in the first place that it promised. You know, highlight those items in your marketing and you might have a chance to re-engage those users when they see the marketing for it and say, Oh yeah, like I churned because it didn't have that feature, but it looks like that's fixed now. I'll give it another shot. Yeah, there's um, that's like such a good example of expectation setting. Mm-hmm. I can think about um, how uh, Steam, that um, the Valve's game platform, uh, they do uh, early access games now. And early access games, if you've ever tried to uh, buy one, you actually spend money on an early access game in most cases. Uh, but 
it's there's a huge disclaimer on the front that's like this is early access stuff is going to break a lot yep. it's going to be buggy the point is that you know this and you're coming in and you're helping us out mm. um and and what i do is um i am not interested in early access games i'm interested in things that are like polished and done and whatever uh however i do keep an eye on them so um in a lot of cases if I were to buy an early access game, I would stop playing that early access game because it's early access and I wanted something else, right? Um, but if the game has been kind of like tested by all these early people who uh, eventually like brought it to the place where it was like uh, like a fully fleshed out game, you know, and then the parallel would be a startup where you haven't quite nailed the product and then after a while you just like blow through a whole bunch of users um, that kind of like help you incrementally make that product better, um, you could re-engage those people much farther down the line once you're mature. Right. Um, but if you came out the gate saying you're mature and you're not, you're not going to get those people back. If you're, if you're, that's like beta is like the best thing for that in right. some cases. So I think, I think a really important question that we should get to you right now is when you're trying to re-engage those users yeah. that just blew through your product and you use the metrics that you, you know, that you, uh, that you took from them to make the product better. Do you try and run a campaign where you're emailing these users, sending them messages, what have you, calling them up perhaps? Terrible idea. Don't do that. <laughs> um, or do you try to go another route where you incorporate some of the and highlight some of the items that were missing uh, in your existing marketing campaigns, right? And try and hopefully re-engage them that way in a more organic fashion. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, re-engagement, like if you have a, a if you're subscribed mm-hmm. to the mailing list. I mean, that, that is re-engagement in itself. Like, that's what that's for, right? Is um, kind of updating a person until they either totally lose interest mm-hmm. or until they see something in that, that email you sent one day that actually they like a lot. Um, uh, for example, uh, I'm a sketch user, but not really. Um, because I'm not a designer, I just have it kicking around. Um, and if they wanted to measure um, my engagement... Um, I think that what they should do is pay attention to the actual app engagement mm-hmm. of me using it, but um, the the fact that I'm still on their mailing list, right? And I haven't ever seen anything on their mailing list. I've opened the emails, mm-hmm. and I haven't uh, unsubscribed from the emails. So, um, and once in a while, I click. So, am I um, totally lost? Not really. I'm just like a different type of user where um, I'm kind of interested. I'm mm-hmm. like a casual user. I'm probably not the kind of person you want to go after and monetize, but like I clearly have my eye on this. Right. And like that's different than them like just looking at the app itself and being like, "Whoa, you haven't like opened the app in like 2 weeks. Like what's going on? Like we miss you. Come design something." It's right. like they don't really go that route, and that's smart. Okay, so this is this is actually pretty interesting yeah. with this scenario. I I, li- I like this example. So, as a developer, I imagine that most of the time that you open Sketch you're given a mock-up and you want to slice some images out that you want to, like, uh, you know, place uh, wherever in your layout. Yeah. Um, in that case, uh, is it more effective for Sketch to send you an email saying, like, hey, Jeff, we noticed you haven't been using Sketch very much lately. We really would like it if you gave it another try. What do you say? Or would you be more likely to re-engage if they sent you an email uh, that highlighted a new feature that they rolled out that specifically makes it easier for you to slice images and place them in your mockups. Right. So it's not really uh that's kind of a leading question, Matt. Uh I think the second one would be better, but because uh it takes into consideration um personalization exactly. that the other one didn't. Um and when it comes to any sort it's like not even just re-engagement, but really any experience, like these are the types of personalization um like additions that you can uh, put into the experience that will make things much better. Like you, by knowing that you're a type of user that falls into this like developer bucket for Sketch versus like a designer. Like the content that you get, um, unless you otherwise specify, um, should be a little bit more tailored towards that because um, be- through research they have determined that this group of people will respond better to this type of content and like. Um, that if you follow a pattern like that, where you're just paying more attention to the attributes of these cohorts, um, it's it just isn't just reengagement. It mm-hmm. basically all the way from acquisition to the entire like customer lifecycle. Um, that is going to help you because you might even find that instead of having to reengage people just by kind of playing by these rules, um, 
you don't have to re-engage as many people because not as many people churn because you're just more aware of what they are as a user type, right? right? Yeah. And you make better decisions along the way, uh, yeah. which is like the ultimate win because if you don't have to, if your churn goes way down, then this re-engagement question is like a lot less of a concern, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing some patterns here, which are that first off, it seems like data, good insights into the data that's being collected in your app and on your users is at the heart of cracking the code for retention and re-engagement. And I say retention first because it feels like the best re-engagement strategy is to not have your users get disengaged in the first place. So in other words, proactive re-engagement. And that seems like an obvious thing. Like, yeah, obviously we want to build an app where our users don't get disengaged. But if we're focused on re-engaging the users that are already disengaged and we miss the opportunities to keep our existing users engaged, we may run into a little bit of a leaky bucket problem here. And I think that the data that we use to find disengaged users can actually also be used a little bit earlier in the process where we're looking at like, how can we predict if somebody is going to disengage and then get information from them to figure out why it is that they're going to disengage and fix that stuff right. in our product before it even starts to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, I, I think this might be a good time to talk about, um, like before we just leave it off altogether, um, the actual tools that people use right now in the ecosystem mm -hmm. uh, to do re-engagement. We mentioned a couple quite a bit, which is uh, sending email. Email, without a doubt, and that's not going to die anytime soon, um, is a great way to get in front of people um, uh, you know, when they're not physically in your product. Right. Um, another one that is abused constantly is the phone notification, like the, the little badge that shows up on your, on your lock screen on your phone. Um, and that one's hard to get right. And the reason it's hard to get right is because it's like your phone uh, kind of gives you this onslaught of notifications all the time. So anything that doesn't have any real value associated with it or anything that kind of tells you to do something instead of giving, like anything that asks instead of gives is a waste of yeah. your time. It basically feels like an ad in that case. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and like, I, I know we've talked about this extensively, but um, in my opinion, like the things that are, like these tools can absolutely be useful for re-engagement. A push notification, as you're mentioning, can be very useful in re-engagement. But when it's not an ad, like you're saying, you know, when the user has some actual emotional investment in the push notification that they're receiving. Right. And I think like great examples of that are like, if you've ever like written a really lengthy post on like your favorite enthusiast forum about something um, and you finish typing out that perfect post, you double checked it for grammar and you hit send and you go about your day. I really care on a deep emotional level when people respond to that post. Right. I want to be re-engaged to be brought back into that form to see the discussion that's going on. Right. And in that case, I would love a push notification. It's not even a question of like, uh, would I mind one? I want a push notification. It is the complete opposite. Right. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good uh, good point about um, like what you could qualify. So like a feature like being mentioned or having somebody comment mm -hmm. uh, on something. Um, also doubles as a re-engagement campaign where um, just by having this feature exist, it already has like built-in re-engagement right. in it. Kind of like this, the, the virality concept. Exactly. It's yeah. like, it's like uh, creating organic hooks for proactive re-engagement, as Austin was talking about. Right. Um, basically leveraging your own user base to actively engage other users. Right, exactly. Yeah, so um, that being said, uh, with a power like that, it's easy to abuse that too. You see a lot of apps that try to encourage you to do these behaviors that don't really make much sense in context because mm -hmm. they kind of follow the textbook of like virality or re-engagement, right. where it's just like, hey, don't forget to uh, rate this or like post on somebody's whatever. And yeah. you're just like, this isn't, why would I do that, right? And like they, they're doing that because it's like, you know, a tool in the toolbox, but like be aware of where uh, it actually fits and where like, it, there's only a comment form is only good if people have the desire to write comments in the first place. Exactly. Right. Um, and that would, those are, those are easy things to test. 
Yeah. Just I, like I think about, uh, you just made me think about like Facebook birthday notifications, right. you know, where you'll get random, it seems pretty random to me, where I'll right. be like, don't forget to wish this person a happy birthday. And half the time it's someone that I never talked to right. and just completely forgot existed. And at other times it's my close friends, right. you know, in the instances where it's my close friends, that's a good re-engagement tactic. You know, I do want to wish them happy birthday, right. but in the other case, I'm just completely ignoring it. Right. Yeah. And I would take a bet that Facebook realized that whether or not they show you the friends that you can't remember, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't stop you from engaging with Facebook. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. It's, it's like, it takes a whole lot. Facebook yep. literally has to abuse you for most people to get off of Facebook and they're, they're very aware of it. Right. So like basically it's like, don't look at Facebook as an example because they're so aware of how addicted most users are that they can do things that are questionable mm-hmm. and that if you're looking for examples as a business owner, um, or like somebody who's building a product, you're looking to kind of steal ideas from other companies, uh, you're going to look at Facebook, and if you take something from them, absolutely, you're going to take it out of context. You're not going to have a clue, like, what the data is behind why they do that, and also why they are doing something that appears to be yep. kind of like a bad experience or like suboptimal, uh, like sending birthday notifications about right. people that you don't care about. It's, but It's that same concept that we always revisit, which is that your user base is unique, your product is unique, right? right. Don't just copy blindly what other people are doing. Right. And um, re-engagement is like it's one no of different. you. Yeah. You, it's very, very important for something right. like re-engagement. Right. Um, it's like when I doubt the most common failed attempt at re-engagement that I constantly see. If you go to the Google Play Store or iOS Store um, and you download some of the top uh, games that are trending that week and you download it, you play with it for about five seconds, then you leave it for a couple of days, you're probably going to get a push notification saying like, don't forget to come back and get like 10,000 coins yeah. from your castle keep or something like that. And you're like, all right, I didn't like the game. I don't want to come back. Right. You know? Uh, but yeah. in other situations um, where I have invested something in the product, you know, and I've used it to some extent, right? And I've received some form of value, you know, if done right, I will appreciate those attempts to re-engage me. Um, right. And it's all about identifying you know, what the content is that's relevant to the user uh, mm-hmm. and delivering that to them. And also, th- like, it's, I think that the most important part of that process is not as much identifying what you should be delivering to them, but rather what you shouldn't be delivering to them. Because mm-hmm. as you start to deliver push notifications or emails or whatever it may be to a user that are irrelevant, the f- after a few times of receiving those irrelevant uh, re-engagement attempts, they're going to tone all of it out, even the stuff that's relevant. Um, Jeff, to your point about Facebook, they're, they're really good at that stuff. They're also a little bit of an anomaly. We know that they have almost 100% market penetration in the United States for individuals aged 18 to 34, which is like the definition for millennials. And those individuals spend about a thousand minutes per month on Facebook. The closest one to Facebook, the closest other uh, social network is Instagram at yeah. 63% penetration and around 350 minutes yeah, Not per even month. close. And Facebook still owns that. So exactly. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. So yeah. So we know that there are certain platforms that have like really, really cracked the code on this. And I think that a lot of it comes down to understanding what should be delivered and what shouldn't. And we've mentioned basically two core uh, platforms here. And I think that in total, there's three platforms that you can use to re-engage users. The first is the tried and true email. As crazy as it is, it's still relevant and it's still being used. Um, The second is, as Jeff uh, pointed out, push notifications. And we know that those are really, really common on mobile phones, but they're actually also possible on the web now as well. If you ever go to Product Hunt, You can sign up for the push notifications and they'll send you in-browser push notifications. And then the final tactic is through existing marketing channels that you have and Mm -hmm. leveraging the data that you have on your users from your product and enriching your marketing with that. So changing your social strategy, taking out ads aimed at churned users. Uh, Say that to Matt's point, there was a specific feature that a user didn't have and you end up building that. You can take out ads against those users and say, look at this new feature that our product has. For uh, emails, do you guys wanna talk through like a few different uh, 
campaign tactics that you can use for emails? Because I've got a couple that I could talk about. Sure. Uh, I think a really interesting one um, was from our very own Anam Hussein, who we actually had on this podcast uh, a little while ago. So if you want to go check out her episode, I highly recommend it. Um, but she discusses a tactic of uh, actively unsubscribing users from their mailing list, which is kind of a crazy idea when you think about how valuable companies find their mailing list nowadays, right? And the idea was basically, okay, we have 100,000 people on this mailing list. We send out an email once a week, and only 40,000 of that 100,000 open that mailing, open that email that we send. Uh, the other 50,000 or so just never open for months at a time, right? They're completely disengaged. They just ignore the emails. Uh, so what they did, they said, okay, these users have no inherent value to us if they're not opening these emails. What's the point in sending them to them if they're not going to read them or click through in the CTA or what have you? Uh, so what they did is they ran a disengagement campaign where they sent these users uh, an email that basically said, okay, hi, we noticed that you haven't been reading our email. Um, we are going to unsubscribe you. We're very sorry that like you didn't find our content valuable. If you have any feedback for us, let us know. Um, also, here's a link that you can click if we sent this to you on accident and you would like to uh, keep receiving these emails. What they found was that that, uh, that email actually re-engaged quite a few of those users who they weren't seeing any value from in the first place. And a lot of the feedback that they heard was things like, oh, I'm sorry, like this email was like, sh- your emails were uh, just like, I just was completely blind to them. I was seeing them every single day, but like I do really care about a lot of this content or maybe I'm just saving them for like one day when I have the time to read through them and I'm just like collecting like this master list of all this great content that you're producing. But thanks for reminding me about it. And they actually gained... Uh, quite a few active subscribers from that campaign. Yeah, I'm going to call out anybody who says they're collecting emails to read at a later right. date for months at a time. They're like, hmm, all right, I got the Saturday all to myself, and you open up that little list there, and they're like, uh, 7,000 emails. I'm so excited <laughs> to read through all of this. I only have, what, seven hours? Every, everyone's different, But Jeff. the thing yeah. is, <laughs> I've actually had this happen to me as well, where you know I was signed up for a few lists to potentially buy a product like uh, a trip there's like a few different um designer trips that i've been looking at and one of them noticed that uh within a year of signing up i hadn't purchased a trip and so they emailed me and they said hey uh we're thinking that you're probably not super interested in this so we're just going to take you off of the list and if you ever want to come back you can just reapply so at that point, I'm like, oh, sh- oh my God, like I'm going to have to go through the process of like reapplying like to get back on their list. They make it feel like an exclusive thing. And I immediately emailed them back and was like, no, I want to stay on the list. I want to keep getting these emails. I'm just waiting till the right time mm-hmm. to when I can actually take this trip or make this big purchase, if you will. Uh, so I think that this actually sort of plays into that idea for figuring out who your actual churned users are and who your not churned but just like silent users are, if you will. Uh, Because there's going to be a lot of people that will passively receive emails but not engage with them, but they're still interested in the content. You wouldn't want to just completely remove those. And this could be a good way to re-engage them. There are some other email tactics, though, that I think are worth mentioning. Um, really common one would be running a poll or a survey to your inactive users just to see what's going wrong. So this is interesting because it's uh, a little bit outside of the norm for an email. So it's like, hey, you know, we noticed that you don't seem to be interested in our stuff. Could you tell us what you think? Some people recommend having a little bit of an incentive. The goal here is that you can uh, get some information from your users to help guide the decisions that you'll be making with your uh, the changes in your product or your next email send. You can also run uh, product recommendations. So Amazon does a really good job of this. They'll track what you're doing on their website if you're looking at a certain product or a category of products. And then if you don't purchase it or if you seem to stray away from it, they'll send you a follow-up email showcasing a special deal on the product, different uh, related products. I'm sure that we've all received emails like this. And then finally, and this is the one that this one always comes up whenever I have conversations about re-engagement on email, but 
I'm actually very skeptical of it because I've done it myself a bunch. And I think that what you end up doing is you just bring back the wrong users. But one thing that you can do is run giveaways or promos to sort of incentivize people to get re-engaged. I just think you have to be really intelligent about this with your strategy for like, how are we actually expecting to retain these users so that you don't just get the people that are after a quick deal. You Whatever offer that you give, you don't want to be losing money on it um, so that you're not running up against a wall with the users right. that actually have no intention of retaining. They just like that single transaction deal and, that you get. And if you there. want to uh, go for the giveaway tactic, uh, I would recommend movie tickets. I think that's a pretty safe bet. Everyone likes movie tickets. Uh, that would be appreciated. Yeah. And then uh, in order to keep those users retained, you just have to keep giving them movie tickets right. over and over and over again for weeks at a time. <laughs> right. And then they'll come back, use your product, and not spend any money, and yeah. get free movies. And then what you do is you pivot to a movie ticket company. And <laughs> there you go. I mean, maybe. <laughs> That's like the first thought I have is like people come back because they like free stuff, and it's like, well, how good are you at that? Like maybe you've got something there. Uh, but... Or, okay, or so I want to talk about uh, service workers and push notifications a little bit yes, more because this definitely. is the final tactic that we haven't really dug into like how you can actually do it. So we're all familiar with mobile push notifications. Um, a good example of push notifications from an app that I've seen is we love to harp on this app, but Duolingo. You ha- if you don't have Duolingo on your phone, even if you're not interested in learning a language, you should download it and just play with it because they get the onboarding really right, they get the user interface really right, and they get their re-engagement tactics really right. And so what, one thing that you can do with Duolingo is uh, they ask you to set goals for how long you want to take to learn a language, and then you extrapolate how much practicing you're gonna have to do every day. And then every single day, the app will notify you and say, hey, don't forget to do your 30 minutes today. You know, you should do it right now. You can tell it when you want to do it and it will follow those rules. And then after, I believe it's like two weeks, if it sends you those notifications as reminders and on not any of those days, you actually enter the app and start to complete your goal. So like it sends you the notification that says, you know, learn the language for 30 minutes today and does that for two weeks and you don't do it any day for those two weeks, it will send you a final notification that says, hey, it seems like these notifications aren't working, so we're just going to stop sending them, which is so compelling because it's like, oh my God, my app is giving up on me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so bad at keeping my promise to learn this language that this non-sentient piece of technology has given up on me. And that's like, that really sort of guilts you into getting back into that process of learning the language. But there are other types of notifications that you can run as well. And something that I've been experimenting with on my website is in-browser push notifications. So if you go to austinnight.com, you can now, uh, I've been doing this for almost a year, I wanna say, uh, you can sign up for push notifications in your browser. And then every time that like we publish a pod- podcast or uh, a, I publish an essay or some big news story comes out that I think is worth discussing, I'll just send out a push notification that pops up in people's browsers. And the cool thing about these notifications is that they don't go away until they're seen. So it's kind of like a bridge between email and Twitter. Uh, with email, Uh, you can send something to somebody and it's going to stay in their queue, but the process of crafting an email and sending it is really strenuous. And there's a lot of stuff that you'll want to talk about as a product developer or as a marketer that doesn't really warrant an entire email. At the same time, Twitter allows you to do those quick little blurbs, but they get lost in the noise of the timeline, which is why we see a lot of companies blasting out the same tweet at multiple times uh, in a single day. So this is sort of in between where it allows it allows you to do like a tweet level amount of content and then the notification can be linked to a page that you want it to take the user to, but the notification also guarantees that it's seen. Um, there are some tools that you can use to set this up on your website today. Uh, OneSignal is the tool that I use. It's completely free. Uh, the thing is that they source data from your site. That's kind of like the exchange that's happening there. So if you're a bigger business, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this. Uh, Roost is a paid tool and Push Crew is also a paid tool. All of these will allow you to set up uh, push notifications 
on your site. What I've seen with push notifications is that it's a little bit uh, higher friction to get a user to convert on these. The conversion rate for email signups on my site is about five times the conversion rate for push notifications. But what I've also noticed is that over the last year of me testing this, the conversion rate has gone up, even though I have not run any like A-B tests on my site or anything like that around push notifications specifically. It's always been in the same place. So what I think is people are starting to get more used to push notifications and mm -hmm. the the big friction point is the browser will say allow or block you know notifications right. and they have to that seems like it's a security risk even though it's right. not so it doesn't really um, they explain have to get used why. to that design pattern yeah it doesn't really explain like why uh do i uh need these notifications in the first place which is what yeah. like a newsletter subscription box does do you know you finish reading the article you receive some form of value from the blog and it says would you like to receive more of these types uh, posts in your inbox, yeah. yes or no. But with a push notification, you just load up the site and it says, do you want to allow access for push notifications? You haven't received that value yet and you don't know quite why you would allow it. So mm, I, that kind of makes sense to me why. Yeah, that yeah. There's, ways to, there's ways to protect against that, I assume, where it won't even trigger something like that unless you specifically go through a flow or click on mm -hmm. a button that's like, you know, enable and then it'll give you a prompt that's like you're about to see this thing you should click on it and then it'll show up right that's like yes. how people do it with their like ios notifications and stuff like that it'll be like hey just so you know you're about to get a notification that says turn this on you got to do it or else this whole app's not going to work <laughs> and then like you get it and then you still have to hit the right button and yeah, then, so i've actually never hit the wrong button so i'm curious what these apps will say when you don't <laughs> they'll be like boo let's try that again yeah so there's actually, I've noticed a few different ways that companies do this. Uh, Product Hunt's approach is they don't say anything about it. As soon as you land on their site, it pops up and says, Chrome wants you to allow notifications on ProductHunt.com. And so their whole thing is just like quantity. They're just going to prompt everybody. But they're also dealing with a very tech-savvy audience that's probably already aware of this stuff. Yeah. Other sites like LinkedIn, what they do is they give you a little prompt that says, hey, do you want notifications? You click allow and it will say a thing is going to pop up from your Chrome browser that you need to accept. Uh, on my site, I walk the user through a little bit of a flow. So I don't necessarily uh, prompt them for anything. I don't want to disrupt them. But if they do tell me that they want push notifications, then they get a little bit of an explainer for it. So there's different ways that you can do it, but it is basically the same exact problem that you have uh, with the iOS devices, which is, yes, you have to actually get the user to accept it through the iOS dialog. Uh, now that's a pattern that users are very used to, so it's not as big of an issue. It's different on the web, though. Uh, so we're still getting past that. But what I believe is that once users get used to this, just from the, the, the click-through rates that I'm seeing on the, the notifications that I send, and then also, like I said, the increase in conversion, I think this is gonna be, this has the potential at least to be a powerful channel. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, we're actually kind of out of time for this yeah. podcast. <laughs> this has been a absolutely content-packed podcast, so hopefully everyone listening has been able to keep up with the onslaught of information. Uh, Shall we go through some uh, quick takeaways before we sign off? Yeah. What do, what do we want to remember from this? Um, so for me, the most important thing is just identifying the correct users who churned and identifying why they churned and um, identifying users who you have a chance to re-engage, you know, and be very mindful of what your product is, you know, per the shovel example that you gave, Jeff. Like, if you're a shovel company, someone buys a shovel from you, they're probably not going to need another shovel for a very long time unless they're a construction company. So there's not much of a point in trying to re-engage them but perhaps move into the screwdriver market because people, I, I know myself personally, I'm always losing screwdrivers. You have a much better chance of reengaging me through your company by expanding your market. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest takeaway um, that I want to bring is that a lot of the same rules for re-engagement specifically apply to just about everything else. A lot of the tactics that you use in order to um, come up with the right decision are the same ones that you do to do things that aren't necessarily re-engagement. For example, you know how to do things differently with acquisitions or how to do things differently with a particular features, uh, you know, user experience. Um, so this isn't like a special case. It's kind of uh, taking the same skills and just applying them to a different scope. Yeah, I think takeaways for me are the best 
forms of re-engagement are proactive re-engagement. So set the right expectations for your users, deliver on those expectations. When you see that there is a possibility that they could be leaving, focus on catching them before they even leave in the first place and building those, uh, those triggers in and then building features against that. Once they do leave, there are multiple different ways that you can re-engage users. The key is understanding which users have actually churned and which ones haven't, which ones you can bring back, which ones you shouldn't be bringing back, and then delivering relevant content to the users that actually have churned and that you actually should be bringing back. You can do that through running intelligent ads or social media campaigns, through using service workers or push notifications, and then through the tried and true channel of email uh, notifications. And I think to wrap all of this up, we can all say that this has been an awesome episode, an awesome end to a huge era of the UX and growth podcast, something that we really, we never thought that this show would ever become anything. And now we have tens of thousands of people uh, listening to us. So Matt and Jeff, it's been awesome to host this with you guys. I can't wait until the next time that we bring you guys back and we get to do a little bit of a reunion tour here. Nobody says goodbyes better than you, Austin. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and I know for me personally, an incredible learning experience. So uh, thank you to the three of you and for everyone that's been listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did have a goodbye, and then Austin said his goodbye, and now <laughs> it's kind of dumb if I say my goodbye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is one of those podcasts where I came on, and I feel like I spent a lot of time learning just as much as talking. And I hope that... Uh, the experience that all the listeners had along with me was also that of a learning experience. Um, yeah. So that being said, um, I'm excited to see where you take this podcast, Austin. Um, I'm excited to join up again when you're able to get us back on. And until then, uh, we have an email address. <laughs> and that, and that <laughs> this, is, this is where we ask for ratings? And that, and that email address. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of re-engagement, y'all get on our email. Uh, the... <laughs> Uh, and that email address is hello at uxngrowth.com. Uh, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, please, if you liked this episode or you like some of the other episodes or if you are just that kind of person that likes to do this anyway, um, leave us a nice review on iTunes. Uh, we always appreciate it and we like to uh, hear from you in a formal setting like an iTunes review. Thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Thank you.